Hi, I'm Steve Cross. Welcome to Clever People Doing Things. We're down in the basement of Chandler House. We're in, we're in rooms that are normally used for all sorts of incredible science experiments about the voice and the brain and understanding and how we think and how we put sentences together and how we make sense of the world. So today we're going to try and make sense of another really interesting public engagement project that's been carried out by one of UCL's researchers. So today I'm joined by Sabina Andron. Would you like to say hello to our listeners, Sabina? Uh, hi everyone, my name is Sabina Andron and I'm a fourth year PhD student at the Bartlett School of Architecture. It's a pleasure to be here. So Bartlett School of Architecture, for those who don't know, it interprets architecture very widely. It's not everybody's yes, it learning to make buildings. Indeed. <laughs> it's quite well known actually for being very interdisciplinary, which is amazing for me because I wasn't trained as an architect, but still I can be in the school and learn a lot and give my own research, give my own knowledge to the rest of the community and I think it's great we have art historians geographers well obviously architects but I would say the mix is about 50 50 architects and non-architects so where do you fall in that spectrum of different interesting people um that's a bit of a hard question to answer actually because I'm not able to say what I am um I (laughs) (laughs) I'm not I'm not a geographer I'm not um I studied literature for my BA okay comparative literature that was my degree Mm -hmm. and then I did a master's in visual culture right so I'm not sure what that makes me but those were my interests amazing I like the idea of interdisciplinarity embedded in one person you don't have to get you know, an artist and an engineer to work together if you are already both an artist and an engineer. But it's still a challenge to try and work with people and do continuously interdisciplinary projects, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, but it is interesting. So bearing in mind that you've come from visual culture, you've come from literature, what does your work have to do with buildings now? What's your big research project that you're looking at? So I would say the one thing I'm interested in is carefully looking at city surfaces right whatever they are they can be doors they can be shutters advertising billboards plain walls so i look at these surfaces and i try to find something about them what is it about the surface itself that asks or invites for certain types of inscriptions so i'm trying instead of asking whoever produces those inscriptions, why did you do it? Why did you do it here? What was your message? Mm. I'm trying, what I say is, I try to interview the walls and the inscriptions themselves and look at the connections that get established between where they appear, what they are, how they're being regulated. So there are several aspects to it. Um, Can I go on? Yeah, please do. (laughs) This is fascinating. So one aspect I look at is the visual aspect. So I, I try and look at the layers of inscriptions and how they communicate with each other. So mostly what I actually do is take a lot of photos. I take repeat photography of the same sites. So I revisit the same surfaces, the same walls, and I take photos over and over again to see how how the surfaces change, how they evolve and so on. That's the visual aspect. Then there's a material aspect, which tends to do with what difference it makes if a surface is paper, metal, brick, glass, whatever it is, what diff- how that impacts on the materials and the types of messages that it can hold. Uh, the, there are actually very interesting connections that get established. And then there's the regulatory side, which in London is quite interesting, actually. I should say that my research is based in London, so I I only look at the city, which is quite interesting because the different boroughs 
have different policy aspects right. about street art and graffiti. And you'll find that the tolerance levels are, are quite different from yeah. borough to borough. And there's also interesting things about, for example, uh, National Rail, TFL, British Waterways, which isn't called British Waterways anymore. The canal people. The, yeah. ca- uh, the canal people, they have to deal with their own property. Right. So that doesn't fall under the council uh, remit. So there's all these aspects that I'm trying to look at. And does it tally with the kind of council there is? In my head, like a Tory council would have zero tolerance policy. Everything gets covered up straight away. And maybe more enlightened councils might look at it and say, well, you know, some pieces actually have a value and they are adding to the area. So maybe we'll we'll not cover everything up immediately. So in my experience so far, the people, the local authorities I've spoken to are quite, I would say that they are in position, so I should say I spoke to Islington, Camden, Tower Hamlets, so they were quite open to having a conversation because they realised that the way that they're doing it right now, which is just to start cleaning everything, isn't paying off, Um, it costs so much money and it's not actually what people want. But it's very hard from their point of view to gauge exactly how they're supposed to handle this now. But I think on the good side of things, most of them have started reaching out to researchers, to artists, to their communities and asking them how they feel about this. And they're much more open uh, to trying out things, basically. But also to say something else in relation to your question, I was doing some research on like local acts and amendments that were being done to, they don't call it anti-graffiti, but they call it like the environmental uh, act or, you know, so there are very local acts in councils that deal with these things. And I was looking at Kensington and Chelsea. They were actually basing this particular bit was about uh, the kinds of chemicals that they can use to remove graffiti, because that's an entire story in itself. The entire document was based on the premise that the quality of the built environment in Kensington and Chelsea was very high. Therefore, they had to be very careful with what they use and generally to use better types of products and maybe less environmentally damaging. Whereas in a place like Tower Hamlets, I don't think they even considered such a thing. So theoretically, is is there a world somewhere down the line where an architect could talk to you and say, if I build this building in this particular way, what kinds of graffiti do you think it will attract? You know, will it have art put on it? What kinds of art might it have put on it? Is that a, a way that your thesis might be read eventually? Perhaps, yes, it could be. I think this is actually happening at the moment, but maybe the dialogue isn't happening between architect and researcher. It's happening between architect and artist. And I know that there are a number of architects who have designed can I call them, they call them graffiti-inspired buildings. So like a tag-inspired shape, you know. But I think more and more they are incorporating the visual language of graffiti into their designs. And this is not just with architects, but this has been going on for at least 30 years. It's nothing new. Fashion, music videos, No, they've all taken inspiration from graffiti uh, and have used it 
for a very long time. So I think we've we've got quite a nice handle on, you know, what it is that you think about all day. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk to you about now was the the public engagement project that you ran recently with uh, with help from the public engagement unit, who I work for, I should say. This is a slight advertorial. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about the the project that you embarked on. So the project was born out of my idea that people tend to have prejudgments about street art and graffiti and the way they think about what is art or what has aesthetic worth and what is simply vandalism. I thought that people have been told, and this is something that has been engendered into people's minds for a long time, starting with the campaigns that they were leading in the 70s and 80s to remove graffiti from the trains in New York, and there's this, all this language that says that graffiti is a blight and, you know, it damages cities and so on. And this was specifically related to tags. And I thought, what if I took some people out to look at walls, but not say anything about this is a tag, this is a mural. You're not supposed to like this because it's been done illegally and you are supposed to like this because it's been done with permission. So what if we get rid of all of that? and just take some people out and start a conversation about what they see without naming anything. So that that was the premise of the project. So what I did was I chose five different locations which I knew were very heavy in inscriptions, all sorts of inscriptions. So I'm talking like you sit in front of a five meter wall and you'd find at least a hundred different marks on it. So what I wanted to do was first of all, take people there and see what they observe. So if you have a camera now, that's what I asked them to do, bring a camera, their phone is fine, it didn't have to be high quality. Yeah. And the first thing is to recognize, so if you're standing in front of this wall, which 20 inscriptions do you want to acknowledge? So will your camera, camera look at the smaller ones, at the tags, mm -hmm. at the stickers? Will you only focus on figurative work? Will you focus on text that you can read? So that was the starting point. And that's actually one thing that I'm in, interested in and that I'm going to try and pull out of this experiment because I can't call it anything else. <laughs> um, namely what people decided to observe. The interesting thing was that the groups uh, varied between five and 15 people. Uh, once I looked at their sheets and their photographs, I actually noticed that most of them tended to gravitate towards the same marks, the same inscriptions, which is quite funny because again, you have a hundred to choose from. So how come you get to know, you tend to notice those? What I tried to do was encourage them to look at small things, look at big things, look, so look, expand their vision to actually see everything that's on that wall. So that was the first step. So once they had the photos, I gave them a separate sheet for each of the photos, asking them to answer some questions, very simple questions, yes or no, or rate something from one to 10, one to five. And these questions were meant to understand what they saw. So instead of asking, did you see a tag? <laughs> 
I asked, did the inscription have any text? Yes or no? Could you read the text? Yes or no? Was it big? Was it colorful from one to 10? Most of the questions were actually quantitative, very descriptive, objective kinds of questions. And then the final five had to do with their reaction or their response, more qualitative, interpretative answers. Do you think the inscription adds value? Would you rather keep or remove it? You get out the inner sensor in everyone, you know, to see if that works or not. So in in some ways, was this about um, members of the public thinking about street art in the way that you think about street art? So coming to it without value judgments and without an idea of that this is vandalism and actually just what is it? How effective is it? Is it moving me? Am I connecting with it? Those sorts of questions. I wouldn't say that I tried to impose my own view, but I tried to strip down their own views of the prejudices and the information they had because I believe that most of that information isn't actually based on facts. When it comes to judging what is what vandalism means, when Mm. you see a tag, it's quite interesting actually because I, I think a lot of people came in with an impression that tagging was an activity that is more destructive than creative. Whereas I think after the workshop was done, they left with a completely different impression because they realized that there is actually a lot of skill, planning, a lot of kind of creative input that goes on into creating and placing, even if it's just a tag. I wanted to ask you about the people who came to your your workshops and the people you showed around. I mean, do you know whether they had interests in street art beforehand? Yes, so I asked them about these things in a form that they had to fill in. Uh, It was all anonymous, so So I... So where did you find them? Well, I found them partly through UCL partly through my own channel so I run um, an arts group okay and uh, I think some of the people came in through there what's your arts group called uh, my art group is called I know what I like it's actually also a gallery good name Uh, thank you (laughs) so is it uh, I know what I like dot com or dot org I know what I like dot org Um, We work with a number of artists, so we tend to show their works in different pop-up events. We also, so what I do, and I've done hundreds of these visits, I take people to galleries, I take them on street art walks, I take them to various art events, and I try to encourage them to talk about what they see. Mm. So that's the, the rationale behind I Know What I Like. Okay. So I think some people came in through I Know What I Like as well. And also in terms of the backgrounds that people had, I think very few of them actually said they had been interested in street art from before and this is something that... So they came there to learn. And so do you know what they got out of it? So I had actually some amazing feedback. I think most of them said that they are definitely more aware of how these inscriptions relate to each other, how they relate to their... how. It's not just because something is big and figurative that it is more valuable in Mm -hmm. any kind of way. And I think they also became more aware of the connections that get established and the impact that these have on the the inscriptions have on their environment. So Sabina, um, I mean, your research sounds amazing. It sounds like it's going down in all sorts of new, interesting avenues with the help of these uh, communities that you've been working with. Uh, You're in your fourth year. Can I ask what you're going to do next? 
So I still have to write up. Oh, um, no. <laughs> oh, well, not the whole thing, but most of it, which is quite daunting at the moment. And I'm sure you know. Yeah. But once I'm done with that, I am going to dedicate myself full time to working with artists mm -hmm. and uh, starting a gallery and maybe even having a space. So that's what I want to do. That's what gets me excited. And it's definitely the, the road I'm going to walk down on. Fantastic. I know what I like. <laughs> <laughs> that's I know what I like dot org. Um, Brilliant. Okay, so uh, Sabina, thank you so much for joining us for this. I've been Steve Cross. Do join us again next time for Clever People Doing Things. We're going to be talking to more researchers and finding out about more fascinating ways that they've been sharing their work with people from outside universities. Goodbye.